Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and this week is the Super Bowl of Food, also known as Thanksgiving. We'll have special guest Bridget Lancaster from America's Test Kitchen joining us to share tips and tricks for all of your Thanksgiving and holiday dishes. We've got some restaurant news for you too, like a food boom in Farmer's Branch and a revamped wine bar on Greenville Avenue. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food for information on our show and all the latest food and restaurant news. And don't forget to tell us what you think at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. If you like the show, be sure to leave a good review on Apple Podcasts. Later, we'll be talking to Bridget Lancaster of America's Test Kitchen. But first, we're discussing the latest restaurant news with food reporters Sarah Blaskovich, Imelda Garcia, and Claire Baller. Sarah, let's talk about Farmer's Branch first. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on there. Yes, Farmer's Branch, it's an interesting city to me because it's really central to Dallas-Fort Worth. Never really been known for food. Right. And Farmer's Branch is kind of going through this little food boom. It started for sure when Tiffany Dairy opened her southern restaurant, Roots Southern Kitchen. Right. That development called Mustang Station has room for a bunch more restaurants and some of them are opening now. So Locals is this cute little wine bar. It's actually a two-part. There is a wine shop on one side where you can taste wine, buy wine, and sample charcuterie boards. And then the other side of the shop, they're side by side, but there's a wall in between. The other side is a cocktail bar. And they'll be serving some of the wine that you could have bought next door, but also just bar snacks, cocktails. It is co-owned by a woman who was on the city council in Farmer's Branch. Mm. And her business partner was once mayor for the city of Farmer's Branch. And the two of them just think deeply that Farmer's Branch needs more stuff. And they decided to do for their community what they wanted to see. Also in Mustang Station, there's going to be Bankhead Brewing, which is a craft brewery. And then Tiffany Dairy next year is opening an Italian restaurant called Radici, which she says is roots in Italian. Also in Farmer's Branch, over on 635, near where it intersects 35, there's a new development. And there's a Mexican restaurant and a to-go pizza shop and kind of an upscale barbecue place. And soon there's going to be several other restaurants in this development. So if you're at 635 and 35, it's in the southwest corner. I mean, think about that. That's in the middle of DFW. There was not a development right there. There were apartments around it, but now there's food. So I'm just sort of fascinated by Farmer's Branch as a place that we used to drive through. Yeah. And now maybe we'll stop. I can't believe there was a spot in Dallas where there's not a development yet. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, really shocked by this. I mean, I pulled in exactly what you're saying, Aaron. I pulled into this development at the elbow of 635 and 35. And I was like, huh, has this been grass the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) Was it a park before? Addison. It's like booming too. So all of this area of town, it's hot now. Agreed. And Farmer's Branch, like Addison, has more businesses and fewer people. You know, so it used to just be a place you'd go to work. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, But the city council member and the mayor made the point, don't we also want to eat and drink in our neighborhood? And someone like Tiffany Derry really can anchor an initiative like that. And I know all of us have driven to Farmer's Branch specifically to eat her food. But I love a story about food and development and what it means to the people in a bigger city sense. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of wine bars, there is one reopening on Greenville Avenue, right? That's right. Leela's Wine Bar. It's the original Leela's. There are a couple others now, but it's on Lower Greenville and it closed and moved across the street temporarily while they made some changes. Today's Leela's is just a little bit bigger. 114 people can fit in there instead of 79. Uh, And they've updated their menu a little bit. One of the reasons why I wanted to mention that Leela's Wine Bar had been going through a change at all is because it's one of my favorite places in Dallas for Christmas decorations. Oh, right. They design it to the nines. And if you're somebody who wants to go and have a holiday-like drink and take a really pretty picture of it for Instagram, you can't get better than Leela's. And those Christmas decorations have been up since November 15th. Oh, excellent. And you will wait in line to do it on weekends. Yes. (laughs) Just be prepared. I kind of feel like the wine bar has had a little bit of a renaissance. When I first moved to Dallas in um, the 1900s, (laughs) um, (laughs) the wine bar was kind of a thing. There were a lot more options and then they kind of died. People mostly went to like craft breweries or maybe restaurants or something, but it was really hard to find a good wine bar there for a little bit. But now I feel like there's a renaissance. Now you're seeing a bit more of a focus too on Texas wines and Mm -hmm. Mexican wines. I think that plays to our strengths well in in Dallas. You know, I've never thought of Dallas as a wine city, but I think maybe that's changing a little bit. We've been asking all of our readers and listeners to share their holiday hacks with us. And we shared one recently about deviled eggs, which was really awesome. And now we have another one from Andy. Hey, y'all. I'm recording this as I make gingerbread cookie dough, even though it's only November 3rd. I take cookies to so many holiday gatherings, and it became a chore instead of something I look forward to. Since cookie dough can usually be frozen for three months, I started making one batch a week in October this year. There's probably 200 cookies in my freezer right now. I'm planning on doing the same thing with Christmas morning cinnamon rolls. I'll par-bake them and then freeze them, which also makes them easier to travel to my parents' house with. Can't wait to hear everyone else's holiday hacks. Wow. Thank you, Andy. Andy is goals. I really want to see their freezer. Our freezer is a bit of a nightmare, I yes. feel. <laughs> yes, ours is too. Ours pulls out underneath the fridge. Uh-huh. And you know when you pull it out and it gets like hung up on the box of whatever that's not been pushed down oh far God. enough? In my perfect world, Andy's freezer is perfectly stacked cookies. I feel like they should be on Instagram, like showing us how to do this. Yeah, and yeah, pack yeah. This Andy, in their freezer. You're an inspiration. Yeah, it takes, <laughs> yeah. Some, it takes some prep work. Yes. It seems you got to have a, a prepped freezer. And that's a really good tip that you can freeze cookie dough for three months. I can so relate to, to the joylessness of a task mm. that is supposed to be joyful, mm-hmm. especially around the holidays. Mine is gift wrapping. I love to gift wrap and I love to spend a lot of time at it invariably one time a season gets to the point where you just need to wrap things. It's not cute and there's not holiday music playing. And I'm like, man, why didn't I slowly spend a little bit of time and savor those moments? By the way, we want to hear your holiday hacks for this season and what you're making. So please email us at eatdrink@dallasnews.com. Next up, we're hearing from the experts on how to do Thanksgiving right. That's right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. 
If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're about to get our turkeys in the oven, but before we do that, we need some advice. We have special guest Bridget Lancaster of America's Test Kitchen joining us today, and I'm so excited. She is the executive editorial director for America's Test Kitchen and co-host of the shows America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country. If you need to know how to cook something, Bridget can tell you. So I am really curious what you are actually cooking this Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm one of these people, I'm so stuck in a rut sometimes that it's hard for me to get out of it because, well, my husband's a chef and you'd think that would make him really grateful, but he's really picky on his one day off a year. You know? <laughs> and then I have two teenage boys, which are, you know, world's most terrifying critics right there. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm going in between two, so maybe you all can help me figure out which one I should make. There's one that I make. It's a make-ahead turkey, which I love because it's actually turkey breast, and then the, the legs and the thighs, you actually separate, and you cook them slightly different. It's the easiest recipe. So you salt them overnight, and then you cook them on a real low, slow oven, like 250, I think it is. Hmm. over mirepoix. So you've got your onions, your celery, some carrots in there, garlic I like to put in there too. And it cooks really low and slow and then it can hold for a little while, which is good because we've got the whole football situation happening, you know, right. the football games and we need to take a break so we can watch Dallas, right? Right. Uh, I just realized I'm talking to Dallas here. <laughs> um, and then you just really crisp it at a really high temp to finish. So it's the easiest thing to do. But I've been going between that and then there's a new spatchcock turkey that we have in our magazine and um, Cooks Illustrated that just looks wonderful. So it's, you know, butterfly or spatchcock on either side of the, the backbone that's taken out. You open it up and then, of course, that makes the cooking time happen so much quicker. But it sits on a bed of stuffing. So all mm. those turkey juices are just going to get soaked up by all that gorgeous stuffing. Yeah, as I'm talking about it, I think we can go with the spatchcock <laughs> turkey version. It I'm talking incredible. myself into it. Does, it. it does. It yeah. does. I know the spatchcocking has sort of come into favor more in maybe the, like the last five years or so. What's the difference? Like what is the benefit of doing a spatchcock turkey over just your regular turkey? Time, I would say, is the number one advantage. It's probably going to cut the cooking time in half, wow. roasting time. The other advantage, I think, is you have more of the skin exposed directly to the heat. So instead of a, a turkey where half of it is facing the roasting pan and doesn't really get quite as crisp from the heat of the oven, you have it all completely face up in that oven. Um, and it also, because you've separated the turkey from the backbone and you've now brought the legs up to the top, and the breast is naturally larger, you're going to have a better chance of having both the thigh meat and the breast meat cook at the same rate. Because that's the 10 degree difference between the two of them. Oh, breast okay. meat, you typically want to come out around 160, 165. And then the thigh meat, you usually want it to cook it to at least 175. So this is really a great way of getting that to happen. One more plug for it is I'm thinking about um, people with one oven, it takes up less space in the oven. So you probably have space to cook other things. What is your advice for anyone who is intimidated by the thought of spatchcocking a whole turkey? We make it sound really strange by calling it spatchcock in the first place. But I would say if you're really afraid, just ask your butcher to do it. But a good pair of kitchen shears, don't use your quilting scissors or you know <laughs> something like that. Um, you want a, a pair of heavy duty, I think Messermeister might be our uh, winner of the kitchen shears. Excellent. But they'll cut through just about anything. And stay right close to either side of that backbone where the bones are at the thinnest. 
that's going to get you all the way home. And so what sides do you do? Are you a sides person? Oh, I'm all about the sides. <laughs> I love turkey, but it really is a vehicle for two things. It's my chance to make a thousand side dishes, right? Because it's <laughs> Thanksgiving. And it's also a chance to make my favorite beverage, which is turkey gravy. <laughs> and turkey gravy is like... Favorite <laughs> beverage. Oh, my gosh. If I could drink it in a big gulp container, I would. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> Love the stuff. But, yes, the sides, I'm all about the sides. I have to have mashed potatoes. I'm pretty boring there. But after that, it's all go. And... I really do try my best to keep some greens on the plate. So um, two years ago, and I'm going back to it because it was just phenomenal. There was a Brussels sprout salad that you chiffonade the Brussels sprouts. So they're really almost like a slaw and it had a little bit of uh, cheddar cheese in it. it, had a vinegary dressing. So it was bright and acidic and some dried fruit if you want to put that in there. And I absolutely love that because I didn't have to use an oven, which was great. I could make it actually made it a day in advance and it tasted even better. And I just kind of retossed it to zhuzh it back up. And it was fantastic. I always try to do that. There's a, a green bean salad this year I might try. So that's my attempt at green vegetables. Beyond that, I, I definitely have to have my sweet potatoes. But there's a butternut squash gratin that has this gorgeous breadcrumb coating mm. with scallions. That's really nice. Yeah, I'm all about side dishes. Bridget, go back to your mashed potatoes, because I think everybody eats mashed potatoes on this day, including me. For your mashed potato recipe, what do you do? I go all out. This is not the time to get out the skim milk, as far as I'm concerned. This is, you <laughs> know, right. we're already past that, right? We all have elastic pants on at this point. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's really just super simple. It's, I always use Yukon Gold Potatoes. Uh, or any kind of gold potato. They don't have to be the Yukon gold. I think gold potatoes now means a few other different types. The other thing is, you know, for about four pounds of potatoes, you're going to want 12 tablespoons of butter. I think it's the, if I'm, let me hang, hang on here. Let me just click on this. And let me, I'm let loving me, it. Sounds make sure right. I'm not, yeah, let me, let me make sure I'm not, okay. Yep. Four pounds of Yukon gold to 12 tablespoons of butter. So stick and a half. And then a cup and a half of heavy cream and four pounds of Yukon gold potatoes will get you to the finish line. Nobody is even going to know about your other side dishes if you make <laughs> these potatoes. You, you cut the potatoes into slices. That's another key. If you cut them into slices, they cook more evenly. Mm-hmm. You don't end up with the pieces that are, no matter how how much you mash it, you end up with those little bits of chunky mash. I don't know why people don't want rustic mashed potatoes. At Thanksgiving, they expect smooth elegance, so (laughs) we have to give them smooth elegance. So you cut potatoes into slices, and then you rinse them. So you want to get rid of the surface starch. Mm -hmm. And then they go into a Dutch oven, a little bit of water to cover. You bring them up to a boil, and you boil them until they're super tender. And then you have to heat the butter in heavy cream. And that's the other key. If you add cold cream or cold butter to hot mashed potatoes, it can actually give them almost a grainy feeling. Mm-hmm. So if you add, if you heat the butter and the cream and then pour that in to the drained potatoes and you just stir it all together and you start to mash it, it's just glorious, of course, lots of salt. I think that mashed potato recipe sounds delicious. And I just want to go on record that for four pounds of potatoes, only a stick and a half of butter seems like not a lot. I I think you and I were supposed to be married. <laughs> thank you, Bridget. I can go with more buttery. Well, yeah, why not? Bridget, how many hours do you spend in the kitchen? And I want to know if you have any other rituals. Well, my rituals are I, I wake up early. We have a local high school football rivalry that we have to go to one of the games. On Thanksgiving so my morning? Son's in, in, on Thanksgiving morning. Oh, wow. wow. How interesting. We go to the game, come back. 
and this is only possible because I try to do as much uh, make ahead as I possibly can for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I hit the kitchen. I just want to get everything going. And then when friends and family start coming over, the majority of work is done because as much as I love them, I definitely prefer at least the dirty work, you know, the raw turkey, getting all that stuff out. I can do that in privacy. I don't know why that all of a sudden sounds dirty, but it's, um, <laughs> it's an intimate <laughs> you know, moment. I just, I just, yes. I, well, it's something that you don't want people to see necessarily right. is that raw turkey getting flipped around and, you know, you're shoving herbs where they shouldn't go. Um, and yeah, it's got to go into the oven. The other um, traditions I always do, I always like to have a nice big Thanksgiving cheese board, charcuterie board, you know, whatever the cocktail of the year is. Last year I did something called a fireside, which is an our cocktail book. Mm. It's got all the cinnamon, warm spices, which is kind of perfect. And it's another one of those things. If you make a really good cocktail, it doesn't matter what you put on the table. Right. People won't even notice. Bridget, what does your dessert table look like on Thanksgiving? Well, I'm spoiled. So my birthday is always right around Thanksgiving. Uh, Growing up, my grandmother would make tons of pies. So she would always have an apple pie, pecan pie, pumpkin pie, mincemeat pie, whatever new pie she was trying. And then my birthday pie slash pie that I prefer to eat after Thanksgiving is a lemon meringue pie, Um, which is really, really odd. I know. Um, But there's something about that lemony, citrusy flavors that cut through the end of the meal brilliantly. Right. But if I have to go with one traditional Thanksgiving pie, it's got to be the pecan pie. I love pecan pie. Last year, I did a cranberry curd tart, and mm. that was fantastic. So that did one Sarah. Kind of, <laughs> I made one of those with my seven-year-old oh, really? daughter. It was so beautiful. Yeah. The color alone. I, we were talking about... <sighs> Redoing it just because of that that color on the table made me really happy. What a great way for people to want something cranberry aside from yes. the jiggly jelly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's similar to the lemon meringue pie that has that tangy tart that just, again, cuts right through yep. that big meal. What would be like your one holiday hack? We've been asking our listeners to share their hacks with us. And there's a lot that they do ahead of time. Like we just heard from one listener who makes their cookie dough like three months in advance. So what are some things that you do? Yeah, I don't want to be redundant with that last color that you had, but make ahead is the hack. Right. Um, Making your pie dough ahead. You can make and freeze your dinner rolls and reheat them ahead. All these different things you can make ahead. There's a couple of hacks that I have. One is if you have a slow cooker, use it as a warming dish. Fantastic. You can keep your mashed potatoes in there. Uh, Mashed potatoes is one of those things that you can actually make slightly ahead of time. You know, add a little bit of warm cream before you serve, you know, just to make sure it's right consistency and put them in your slow cooker. The other thing is because, again, I make gallons of turkey gravy. Um, (laughs) If you have a thermal carafe, coffee craft that you just used for this one thing, you can put it right in there and that will keep hot gravy on the table. That's one of my favorite hacks. Mm, I, I thought you were um, going to tell us to just drink yeah. right out of the craft, Bridget, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, get, you have to come to the kitchen with me and I'll give you a straw and we'll just r- drink that right out of the craft. <laughs> um, those are two of my favorite. And then, you know, having the right equipment will just help you out. I'd say uh, an instant read thermometer. We love our thermopins at America's Test kitchen because they consistently win our testing. Having that instant read thermometer will tell you exactly when that turkey's done. It'll tell you the right temperature for your rolls or bread. So nobody nobody has to cut into that turkey and see undercooked 
meat, which is not great. I mean, overcooked meat is the way to go if you have to, because again, you've made a gallon of gravy. So that'll save anything. Oh, sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Bridget, I want to know everything about your gravy, because I mean, it sounds incredible. Well, it starts with turkey part. This is the other part that I, I love about it is that it's make ahead. You'll start by roasting turkey part, your wings, you can buy extra thighs, places will have turkey backs right now because they're spatchcocking a ton of turkeys, and you'll roast them along with onion, carrot, celery at a pretty high temp oven, 400, 425 degrees until they're really well browned. And then all of that goes into a big old Dutch oven or a stock pot. You can add chicken broth. You can add water to that. If you have turkey stock that you've already made, even better. So at this point, you're just making turkey stock. So you're going to add more fresh onion, some carrot, celery, bay leaf, thyme sprigs, some garlic in there, and let that all simmer for hours and hours until it tastes rich and deep. You'll refrigerate it, and then that little bit of fat from turkey is going to rise to the top, and it should be pretty solid so you can skim that off easily, but you don't want to throw that out because you're going to use that turkey fat to make turkey roux. So you're going to use the fat and flour to create a thickener and a clean pan now, roughly even amount of uh, fat to flour, um, a little bit less fat. So if you're using five tablespoons of flour, you can use four tablespoons of your turkey fat. You're going to cook that roux until it's kind of copper penny colored, so it's really deep and dark. Add your turkey stock back in and let that just start to get nice and thick and rich and let it simmer down until you've got the consistency that you want. And the turkey gravy, it's just beautiful because it's almost a mahogany color. It's just absolutely different from chicken gravy. It's so deep and dark and rich. I've even seasoned it with a little bit of soy sauce, so that adds that umami flavor, that really deep, dark meatiness. And then you finish it with a little bit of red wine, I think, at the end, just a tablespoon to kind of revive the flavor. Mm, thank Now you. I'm thirsty. I know. You're thirsty <laughs> for some gravy. <laughs> I'm thirsty for some wine if we're talking. I know. Yeah, wine. <laughs> There we go. Well, thank you so much, Bridget. This was so much fun and I learned a lot. I'm so glad. And, you know, don't be a stranger. I would love to talk to you guys. And happy Thanksgiving and happy birthday, too. Oh, thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrinkatdallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.